All right, well, welcome to the well. And if you're coming back, welcome back to the well. For those online, welcome. Um, we are in the middle of a series, um, and we are talking about uh, Jesus for president. Okay, that's been our premise so far. And we've been talking about, like, who's got your vote and all this fun stuff. And that's about all the voting analogies I'm going to make for today because we're getting really close to election day. <laughs> so that's it. I'm done with the, the voting analogies for today. We'll leave that for, for the following week. Um, but in all seriousness, what we've been talking about is who's the ruler of your life? Um, and we all, as Christians, as, you know, sitting here today, we're saying, Jesus. Jesus is the ruler of my life. Jesus is the king of my life. But we all also know that it's never really that simple, right? Like Christianity is simple, but you have to dig a little bit deeper to kind of figure out, okay, well, Jesus is the king of my life. What does that mean? What, my, what should my life look like? Over um, the, the next, you know, few talks and the previous talks, we've been talking about this one idea, and I think this lays the foundation for everything. Um, and it's the idea that Father Anthony shared with us that living in God's kingdom requires submission to God's kingship. Living in God's kingdom requires submission to God's kingship. What that basically means is if we truly want Jesus to be our king like we say we do, we can't disobey what he tells us to do, Right? And obviously, we struggle and things like that, but our, our goal, our aim should always be to be under his authority and under his kingship. And what we've been looking at is uh, one of the famous, most famous parts of the gospel, um, and that is the Beatitudes, and that comes to us from Matthew chapter 5. Um, and the Beatitudes open up with this verse in mind. It says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and if you're like me, you've heard this a thousand times, especially if you've attended liturgy. Um, in the book of hours, our sixth hour um, gospel, this is what we read. But when I was reading commentary on this, like these first two verses, something that you know, was revealed to me that I never really thought about before. <clears throat> Jesus was already around a group of people when he was about to give this most famous sermon of all time. He was already there around a bunch of group of people around his disciples. But it said Jesus saw the multitudes and he went up on a mountain, okay? And a lot of commentators will say, going up on a mountain, that is kind of an imagery, like for us to think about that Jesus was kind of taking them up a little bit higher. Let's go up a little bit higher and discuss the secrets of the kingdom. And this is why when we say like, we have to be under God's kingship, this is why this lays the foundation um, for that. Because in order to be in God's kingdom and under his kingship, Jesus is telling us, come up on the mountain, come with me and I'll tell you the secrets to the kingdom. And a lot of scholars will compare like the, the Beatitudes and the next couple of chapters to the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament. Um, but it's not just like a reiteration of the commandments. Sometimes you want to th compare things like black and white like that, but it's really not just a reiteration of the commandments. It's again this idea of taking us up higher. If the commandments were like given to like children, this is like given to like middle-aged adults, okay? So the commandments was do not do this, do not do that, don't do this, don't do that. We're busy figuring out what we shouldn't do. Jesus is taking up higher and, and saying, how about a more proactive approach? Let me tell you what you should do. And last week, we talked about um, one of the Beatitudes is probably the most misunderstood. And if you didn't uh, check that one out, make sure you go on our YouTube channel and check it out. And we talked about how the meek shall inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. This week, the Beatitude we're discussing is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Today, what I want to do um, together is that we're going to break this down. Some of us may have heard it for the first time. Some of us may have heard it many times. 
But I want to kind of break down uh, this verse. Jesus is compelling us today to vote for him because he's offering us something that we all want. And I don't mean all like people sitting in this room. I don't even necessarily mean all like just Christians or Orthodox Christians or just Christians. I mean all. I mean humanity. This is something that all of humanity desires, and that is to be filled. And we'll talk about um, what that means. But just like the last beatitude, we talked about the meek shall inherit the earth. This week, we're talking about those who hunger and thirst shall be filled. The statements actually don't make sense on the surface. Like the meek inherit the earth. When we read that, what do we think? Say, Lord, from our experience, it's not the meek that inherit the earth. It's actually those who go out and take it by force. The strong, the the ones who use their willpower. Today we're reading this beatitude, and he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And we say, are you sure? Like, that doesn't seem to make sense. The ones who are filled are the ones that go and get food themselves. The ones that go and get drink themselves. Just common sense. But this is what Jesus is telling us today. If you gave me one beatitude to preach on for the rest of my priesthood, for like into, <laughs> into eternity, until whenever this is done, if you gave me one beatitude to preach on, I think this would be it. Because to me, this beatitude is really the secret to being in God's kingdom and under his kingship. If you wanted to understand what is this like best kept secret, okay, best kept secret in all of the gospel is this. So we're going to start, like last week, we're going to break down the reward or the promise, the campaign promise that Jesus is offering us, um, that we shall be filled, and then we'll go to the requirement, okay? So we'll start with the reward first, or the promise. The promise is to be filled. If I wanted a concise definition of that, I would say fully satisfied, fully satisfied, lacking nothing, 100% content, that's the Bible word, content, whatever you want to use to, to kind of understand this, filled equals fully satisfied, lacking nothing. This is a pretty bold statement that Jesus is making. Imagine a politician came today and they said, if you vote for me, you would be lacking nothing. You would be fully satisfied. Now, I'm going to say some weird stuff here about politicians, but just stay with me, okay? So, like politicians in general, okay? We know politicians in the the game of politics is... People say one thing, and they don't really mean it, okay? That's just generally the game of politics. That's how it goes. If I heard today that there was a politician who said, if you vote for me, you're going to be filled, you're going to be satisfied, you're going to lack nothing, what would you say? What would I say? Would you believe them? Like, if there was a, somebody today, one of our, like, people running for president today, said, if you vote for me, you will lack nothing. Like, they're not even, they're not even crazy enough to make that statement. Like, you'll lack nothing? You'll be fully satisfied? Would you believe them? I wouldn't. I would not believe them. But that's what makes this so unique. It's because Jesus, who is truth, is telling us this. That I have a way for you to lack nothing. To be filled completely. To be fully satisfied. This, like I said from the beginning, this is what we all want. This is what we all hunger for. In fact, if you wanted to really understand the core of like human behavior, everything that humans do, it's this. It's to fill some sort of void. Doesn't matter if you're a Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter, male, female, whatever. We all desire the same thing. We desire to be satisfied. All our actions, 
are dictated by this need, by this desire. And some of us choose to get that desire through different means, right? Like some of us, maybe we, you know, think that the, 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 I, if I can get the best food possible, then I'll be satisfied, okay? Like just the, I need like the best food, the best restaurants, the best whatever, satisfied. Maybe it's like the best adventure. Like if I get the best adventure, satisfied. Maybe if I buy stuff, a lot of stuff, then I'm satisfied. Like a lot of stuff, a lot of gadgets to keep me entertained, to fill whatever void I think I'm trying to fill, I'll be satisfied. For some people, maybe it's partying, drinking, drugs, whatever, to be satisfied. Money, the number in my bank account, that security that I feel, that's going to help me be satisfied. Money doesn't matter to you. Maybe it's prestige. Maybe it's achievements. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's popularity or acceptance. And in this age, you know, acceptance looks a little bit different. Back then, we were trying to you know, uh, impress our friends at school and, and at work and whatever. Now we're trying to impress people online and social media. Maybe that's what I'm trying to do to fill that void, to be fully satisfied. And even when none of those things apply to you, you think that if only I can change that one circumstance or that one person, then I'll truly be satisfied. And on and on and on and on the list goes. And we think that if we seek any of those things in isolation of God, we will be satisfied. And the reality is, they never do fully satisfy us. We've been there, done that, but we do it again and again. If I wanted an analogy for this, like uh, something that I thought of, which is silly, but maybe some of you can relate. You know when you're, you're like, you wake up, let's say like midnight, okay, and you're hungry. Okay, it's time for like a midnight snack. You wake up and you're hungry. And you open up the fridge and you just stare. And there's no, like, there's everything but nothing. Okay, I'm, I'm sure we've all been there. Like, I'm sure I'm not the only one doing that, okay? So there's everything but nothing. I feel like that's our souls, our spirits with the world. We open up the fridge, we look around, and there's success. There's money, there's prestige, there's whatever. There's the partying. There's, we think all these things are going to satisfy. But there's nothing. Like, I'm looking at my fridge, I see a million different things. I look at the world, and I see a million different things, a lot of options. But in the end, there's nothing. There's um, uh, one book in, in the Bible that talks about this at length, and that's the book of Ecclesiastes that was written by King Solomon. Um, and if you've actually ever read, like, read this entire book from start to finish, the book is actually kind of a downer, if I'm being honest. Like, it's not like the most like, joyful, uplifting book that you would read. Um, but it takes us down this path of like, life and the journey of life. And what the book talks about is it talks about everything in the world is fleeting, Everything is, he uses the word like meaningless, not really like the, the best definition, but he says like everything is fleeting, everything is meaningless. And actually, so you know what? Actually, so are you and so am I. And that's like the book. And you're just like, whoa, <laughs> like, where, where's like Jesus and the good shepherd? <laughs> like, like what happened here? Um, but then the book ends with, with, without this part, the book I think would be truly depressing. But then the book ends with something that is very insightful. The author says the following. Now, all has been heard. The author is talking about um, all the, the things that have been written before. He says, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Here's what I have found. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. 
What this verse says to me is that that author, the King Solomon, in that book, he went through this exact experience, and he actually had the most resources imaginable. Like, he had more resources than me and you today to get all of those things to satisfy him. He had all the wealth in the world. He had, like, everything, everything you can imagine. He had all the knowledge. He had all this stuff. And in the end, what he finds is this. Fear God and keep his commandments. And we'll talk about what that means in a little bit. But what this says to me is that while things look bleak, when I say nothing is going to satisfy, nothing's going to satisfy, but there is hope. There is something. And I think that's what Jesus is offering us today. Now, before we continue any further, here's what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that everything in this world is evil. Like, go in your room with no food, no water. Like, that's not what I'm saying, okay? Like, God created things for us to enjoy in this world. But what I am saying is, outside of God's kingship, those things that can be good are oftentimes detrimental to us. We can distort them. We can make them our idols. Said in another way, any real good pleasure, any real good enjoyment that we get in this world is actually part of God's intended creation for us. We need to understand and believe that true satisfaction, true meaning, and true purpose outside of God is impossible. And I know that's a bold statement, but that's actually the beatitude today. If you want real satisfaction, real purpose, real meaning outside of God, it's not going to happen. There's a book um, that, that I absolutely love. Um, it's by C.S. Lewis, and um, it's called Screwtape Letters. Some of you may have read it. Okay, Screwtape Letters is basically a book about um, he is pretending to be a demon, okay, like a head demon, guiding another like junior demon about tempting like somebody in the world. Okay, so that's the premise of the book. Okay, um, so C.S. Lewis is writing this, and this is the, the head demon speaking to the junior demon, all right? Never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's, or God's, ground. He made the pleasure. All our research so far has not enabled, enabled us to produce even one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasure which our enemy has produced, and to do so at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. Do you see what he's saying there? Like, so this is like, the, this, again, like the, 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 head deacon, the head demon guy, not deacon, head demon, sorry, junior demon, okay? And he's telling him, look, all these pleasures, all these things that, that humans want to enjoy, all that satisfaction that they're yearning for, it's actually God's creation. God intended for that to happen. But what we do is we come in and we try to, to trick them. We try to tell them to take the pleasures in at times or in ways or in degrees that they shouldn't, that God has told them not to. And I think that's all of us. I think at times, in different seasons of life, we put things that we think will satisfy us, and we look at those things as if they are in silo, outside of God's kingship, and we try to do those things on our own. For example, our careers our careers, and, and I know we're, we're like in the D.C. area, um, so like our careers are a big thing here in D.C. Our careers, they're great. They're, you, everyone should do their absolute best job at their career. Absolutely, always. Like you should have integrity, you should be faithful in your job. But the problem is when my career becomes my idol. The problem is when I try to accomplish achievement and success in my career in a way that I know is not a godly way. The problem is when I behave in my job on my day-to-day -day with people 
And I don't treat them well. I treat them like they're beneath me. I don't treat them like as if I was uh, an image of Christ walking around. That's just one example of, of a, something that is good but can be distorted when it's not under God's kingship and God's authority. So the question for me and you is if we want to be fully satisfied, we want that full satisfaction, that promise that God said that you will be filled, you will be filled, how do we get there? The requirement that Jesus gave us seems like a strange one. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And again, I want us to read these words like we're reading them for the first time. If you've heard this before, act like you're reading this for the first time. To me, Jesus is saying, to you, you want to be filled. You want to know the secret to being satisfied in life. You need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And to that, most of us are thinking to ourselves, huh? What does that mean? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. How is that going to fill me? Like, Jesus, I need you to figure out the solution to my circumstance. I need you to solve my problem. I need you to solve my relationship with so-and-so. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness, that's not going to solve my problems. First thing is, what kind of hunger and thirst is Jesus talking about? Okay, so let's go there. When Jesus talks about hunger and thirst, um, in the context that he is giving this, this is not like when we are hungry and thirsty, okay? Um, when we are hungry and thirsty, like our food is one click away. Like one click away. You pull out your phone, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, okay, DoorDash or whatever the app is, and somebody drops off food at your house. Like, we, like in this context, when people are hungry and thirsty, what he's talking about is they are truly deprived of food and thirst and, and like water, and like their life depends on it. That's the type of hunger and thirst he's talking about. Not like, like when we say, I'm starving, like you're most likely not, okay? Like you're not starving, okay? So, but what he's talking about is that actual like point of starvation, okay? So the context for us is really important that this kind of hunger and thirst, the spiritual hunger and thirst that Jesus is talking about is almost as if our lives depended on it. So that's the first part, hunger and thirst. What about righteousness? What does righteousness mean? Some people will say that righteousness, well, we can never make ourselves righteous, which I would say agreed. And Jesus came down, was incarnate, took on, you know, he took on flesh, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, you know, and he did all of that stuff, so he made us right with God. And glory be to God for every man. Like, that's, that's the conclusion. But was that really the point of salvation? Like, from our understanding in the church, is that really the only point of salvation? For sure, we cannot attain righteousness on our own a thousand percent, like, a hundred and ten percent, like, never. We can never attain righteousness on our own. But when Jesus came down and did all of that for us, when he died for us, he rose for us, he gave us the, gave us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, and he gave us the church. What was the purpose of that? Why did he give us the church? If all his work was done, what was the purpose of the church? This is the purpose, to make us righteous, to continue his work, to make us like him. Righteousness, when, when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, there's only one true righteous person. That's God. So what Jesus is saying, blessed are those who hunger after me. Blessed are those who hunger after a godly way of life. Blessed are those who hunger after holiness, a life with me. 
A life of holiness, a godly life, seeking God more than anything else in this world, that is what's going to fill us. That's Jesus' promise. So if that's the promise, then we have to figure out how I can always make this my number one priority, that nothing else even matters. <clears throat> and obviously, we're never going to attain the, the, a state of complete righteousness. That's not going to happen. But by the grace of God, we see in our lives and we see in other people's lives that God truly does transform people, and we'll look at an example later. But God definitely does that, and he's calling us to, to do that same thing, to hunger and thirst and, and have that real desire for him and to be united with him and to long for him, and that has to be our number one priority. In short, God is saying to me and to you, if you want to be filled, seek me first and foremost. All those other things, they'll be added to you. And in fact, he says that exact same thing just a chapter later. He says what? But seek first. Maybe we can read this together on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Like, we know this. This is common sense for us. Like, we've read this probably a thousand times. This isn't news to us. We've heard the countless stories of holy men and women of God, especially as, like, Orthodox Christians. We've heard these stories. People who dedicated their lives for this as their number one priority. They didn't have all the means we do. They didn't have all the comforts, all the luxuries. They had problems, certainly. But could you look at them and say they didn't live a satisfied life? A fully satisfied life? For sure they did. God isn't saying, seek righteousness because it's good for him. But he's saying that lifestyle that I have called you to live, that, that desire that I put in you, that hunger and thirst that I put in you, is that you would come after me? I created, for you. I created you for this. I designed you for this. This is why we have the story of salvation. That's the purpose. It's not just that Jesus saved us, okay, now I can sit here and do nothing. No. It's that God is saying, okay, now I want a relationship with you. Now let's grow together. Let's have a relationship together. And I'm going to show you how to be more and more like me. St. Augustine um, is, is church father in, in the early Christianity. He says it beautifully. He says, you have made, talking to God, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. I love that word restless in there. You ever meet someone who's restless or like a kid who's restless? You ever see like a kid who is restless? A kid who is restless, what, what does it look like? It looks like somebody's just looking to do a bunch of stuff with no purpose in mind. No goal in mind, like just going crazy, like doing a bunch of stuff with no goal in mind. Again, I feel like sometimes that are, that's our, the state of our spirits. It's like we're wandering around doing all this sort of stuff, like running around trying to fill, fill, fill us, fill us, fill us, but no purpose in mind. And God says, the number one factor for your satisfaction, the number one factor for my satisfaction in life is how hungry and thirsty you are for me, for my righteousness. Without God, okay, like if I wanted to, to kind of summarize this so far, without God, we are simply existing not living. We are existing, not living. If we want to have a true purpose, a true satisfied life, it has to be with him. And at this point, if you weren't already convinced of that, um, that your relationship with God is the greatest factor to like satisfaction in life, I hope you are now. Um, 
And it doesn't mean that I'm going to have all my problems resolved. Like, it doesn't mean that all my circumstances and situations are going to be resolved. I'm still going to have problems in my life. But in spite of all of that, I can still have satisfaction in my life because God is in there with me and I'm with him. And some people may say, okay, well, that sounds nice, but like, where does one even begin? Like, where do I start? And let's say I have begun, I've fallen, and I want to start again, which is 100% of humanity all the time. Okay, like we all have these seasons of life. God was my number one priority. I get distracted, distracted, distracted. I want to make God my number one priority again. Where do I start? Where do I go? It doesn't matter what spectrum you're at. It doesn't matter if I've never had a real relationship with God or I've always had a real relationship with God and now I want to come back. Or I'm in a season of life where I have a good relationship with God. It doesn't matter where you're at in the story. The important thing is um, we all need to make this our number one priority. And I'm going to give us just three quick steps, okay? This isn't like clickbait, okay? This isn't like an article, like three quick steps to holiness, okay? That's not what this is, okay? That's impossible. But what I'm going to give you is like three steps of things that I think I address in my life when I feel that restless. My, my spirit is restless, that I'm wandering. I open up the fridge, no satisfaction. I'm restless. I don't know where to go. Again, this won't solve all our problems, but hopefully it get us started in the right direction. First step, we need to sit with ourselves. And I know right now, especially during a pandemic, the last thing I want to do is sit by myself, okay? Um, but this is important. Whether you're, you know, doing it like in a group setting or whatever, but I do think like sitting with yourself is important. And ask yourself this question. Do I really hunger and thirst for God? And I know the answer seems like, or the question seems kind of silly, but we have to be honest with ourselves. Do I really hunger and thirst for God? Like when I wake up in the morning, Am I focused on, how am I going to connect with God today? I wonder what God has in store for me today. I can't wait to, you know, like, invest in my relationship with God today. And to me, this is the hardest part. To me, this is the hardest question to answer. Because there are days where I'm hungry for God. Absolutely. There are days when I'm thirsty for God, and I know that he's the only one who can satisfy me, and that's all I want. But then there are days where I'm not, where I have a million things on my mind. I have a to-do list. And I think if I, again, I think if I accomplish my to-do list, well, then I had a satisfying day. Question for us is, am I spiritually hungry and thirsty for God like my life depended on it? Because it does. My life does depend on it. You might go on with, with with your life and with my life existing, but not really living. And there again, there are two spectrums of this. We go through seasons of life and we have to readdress this over and over again. But the question becomes, I have, to, I have to ask myself is, am I complacent? In this current season of life, am I complacent with my spiritual life? And I think for a lot of us, again, we have to answer that question honestly. Am I complacent? And if I am complacent, what are steps I can take? Okay, and I don't have like, uh, again, a one, two, three quick answers for you, but that's a good question. Am I being complacent in my spiritual life right now? Am I hungry and thirsty for God? An opposite spectrum, or like even further, have I been ignoring God altogether? Do I live my life in such a way that, you know, I'm one way, I occasionally go to church, I do whatever, but it's kind of on the side? I fit church and God in my day? Or is it the opposite? That I, my lifestyle, God himself, is everything, and I fit everything else in it. If the answer is no to this question, then this is maybe the the first step for us to understand why we don't have true satisfaction in our lives. Why maybe 
we find ourselves complaining. We know we shouldn't, but we find ourselves complaining. We find ourselves bitter. We find ourselves angry. We find ourselves restless. This is maybe why we don't have that real satisfaction that we yearn for. <clears throat> or maybe another solution to this, potentially, is maybe God is calling us to take a step, to make space for him. We've been spending a lot of time investing in our personal lives and not investing in our like, spiritual life, as if the two are, are counter each other. Maybe it's time that we begin eliminating some junk food from our diet. Maybe. This, to me, a lot of times, again, is really important when I'm talking to people and they're saying, like, you know, I don't even have hunger for God. I don't have thirst for God. I, I feel like there's nothing. I don't even want a relationship with God. My follow-up question is, well, what are you filling your life with? If you don't want God to fill your life, there has to be something filling your life. Like, what are you doing every day? There are things that once we begin our relationship with God and we desire that relationship with God, that again, the, the, the devil, like in that, that C.S. Lewis book, he makes those pleasures, he distorts them. He distracts us. And he says, actually, no, you need, you need more of this. You just need to go this way. Don't worry about what God said. Like, you just need more, more of this stuff. There are things that completely distract us. There are things that consume us. And then there are things that leave us with no place for God because we are filling up on the things instead of on God. Same way that we fill up on junk food, right? Like if I know I'm, I'm having dinner in an hour, but I'm hungry and I see chips in front of me, it's the same thing. I'm gonna fill up on chips, fill up on chips. I have no desire for my dinner now. This happens to all of us. And I'm not here to like make us all like feel bad or anything, but it's truly like a reflection for all of us. If I say there is no hunger, there is no thirst, well, so that's probably why there's no satisfaction. Well, I want the satisfaction. You have to have the hunger and thirst. How do I get there? You know, we need to first assess what's going on in my life. And one of the things is maybe I begin eliminating junk in my life. What are the things that are occupying my time, occupying my mind? And for some of us, this can be as simple as changing our environments. And I say environment to, to be kind, but what I mean by environment is the places we go, are they godly places? The people we hang out with, are they helping us in our spiritual journey? Not from a judgmental standpoint or anything like that. But sometimes that's the junk in our lives that is limiting our relationship with God. For others, it may be that we've been struggling with a specific sin or some sort of sins in our lives. Let's say I have a temper or something like that. And that has become so like, common in my life that there's really no struggle against it anymore. I'm not really struggling. I'm complacent in my spiritual life. Whatever it may be, I don't have a way of defining this, but whatever it may be, that junk, eliminating it piece by piece, that could be a way and at least starting to eliminate it, like I said, begin eliminating, that's the most important thing, that could be a very good first step. The important thing to know here is that when we begin, when we begin yearning for God and desiring God, we're not doing this on our own. God himself wants that for us. Like sometimes we think we're like working, working, working on our own and we're desiring these things on our own as if God himself doesn't want that same exact thing for us. But it's actually himself, he himself is asking us, Yes, come closer. Like, he's encouraging us. He's our, he's our best cheerleader, so to speak. He wants us, and he's helping us along the way. 
So we talked about assessing. Am I really hungry and, thirsty and, and thirsting for God? Maybe I need to begin eliminating some junk in my life. And the last thing in our journey is never forget just that, that righteousness, that a life of holiness, that pursuit of God, that relationship with God is a journey. There will absolutely be ups and downs. You will not have a smooth, like, climb to holiness, okay? Like, it doesn't work that way. Look at the stories of the saints. It, does, it doesn't work that way. We want to think, like, I made a decision today. I'm going to be completely, you know, on board God. I will never fall again. I'm ready. And it doesn't happen. We are, like, forgive me, but we are, and I, I am, of the microwave, like, generation. We like things done instantly. Like I said earlier, oh, I'm hungry, food, boom. Amazon, it's two days for shipping, two whole days. I have to wait two whole days for something to come online. Like, that's an eternity for us now. Like, when is Amazon going to get their act together and just give it to me the next day? Like, that's how we think. And we apply those same principles in our spiritual life, and it's just, it's foolishness. And to me, this is actually the number one thing that I think the devil plays with in our minds. This idea that our life with God, our relationship with God, is not a journey. He comes and he says, oh, you want it to be, you know, you want it to, to be, you know, volunteering at church, you want it to serve, right? Oh, you want it to be kind to your family. Oh, you want it to not complain about your job. Well, look, you're doing all those things. You're not improving in any way. And we're like, yeah. And we get discouraged. And we fall to despair. But nobody ever promised that. I don't know where we got that from. No one ever promised that this isn't going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to be difficult. If we wanted to take a look at someone who is at one point not close to God at all, okay, not, in fact, running away from God, pursuing everything else, trying to fill up on everything else in the world, but then began that journey towards righteousness, to me, the person I thought of, and there's many, St. Augustine. I mentioned him earlier. This is someone who ended up, by the end of his life, having a real thirst and hunger for God. Um, and, and he thought there were other things that were going to bring him satisfaction, like King Solomon. He thought there were other things that were going to bring him satisfaction, and he chased after those things. But then, finally, after he starts his journey of righteousness, his journey towards God, his journey towards holiness, that, that life with God, this is what he has to say about how he feels about that journey. To fall in love with God is the greatest romance. To seek him, the greatest adventure. To find him, the greatest human achievement. If you notice, there's one word he keeps saying there over and over again. Greatest, greatest, greatest. Best, best, best. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? That is someone who went from no desire to be with God to fully on board, I want to be with God, I'm going to hunger for God. But notice what he says. Falling in love with God is the greatest romance. Agreed. To seek him, the greatest adventure, and to find him the greatest human achievement. It's an adventure. There's, there, there's like a story. Everybody has a story. It's not as simple as, I fell in love with God, and that's it. We all know, or we think we know, the things that we want in our lives that will satisfy us. We think that if we solve these four problems, my life, I'll have no complaints. My life will be perfect. I promise you there will be more problems. We think that if I solve my relationship with these two or three people, 
everything's going to be great. We think that if I had more money, we think if I had a better job, we think if I had more achievements, more respect from people, more popularity, more fame, more whatever, we think that those are the ways that we are going to be satisfied. And Jesus says, no, you got it backwards. You don't need to fill yourself. You actually need to be hungry and thirsty so that I could fill you. It's exactly the opposite. Jesus today is telling us the secret of life, the secret to everything. The one thing that we all desire, this full satisfaction, this satisfied life, and he's saying, I have a way for you to get there. And the way is, come to me, and I will lead you to righteousness. It's kind of like that psalm, right? He leads me to the paths of righteousness because he's the good shepherd. So we go to him, and he leads us to that path. If we all say that we want that satisfaction, and we all do whether we say it or not, we all want that satisfaction, we all want that desire to be filled. And if you think that your life with God will not do it for you, will be boring, will not be worth it, look at someone who tried the other process. Like this is trial and error right here, firsthand experience, St. Augustine, trial and error. This is someone who, who at this point when he's making the statement about falling in love with God is the greatest romance, someone who really is not just talking the talk, but he walked the walk. He experienced everything else. He tried to find love in every other way. He tried to find adventure in any, every other way. But what he's saying is, this is the only way. There is no other way. If we truly want satisfaction with God, if we truly want God to, to fill us, if we truly want to be content, to be full, we have to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We have to have that desire. And that's not going to happen overnight, but that happens little by little. And we can't get discouraged when things aren't going on our way, even in our spiritual lives. We have to continue fighting the good fight. We have to keep strong. We can't let the devil get in our minds and say, you tried, you gave it a shot. Clearly, the spiritual thing is not for you. That's for other people at church. But for you, that's not for you. God is telling us today, and Jesus is telling us today, that voting for him, voting for him, electing him truly to be our king, and, and for us to be in his kingship, under, his, under submission to him and yearning for him, desiring him, is the only way and the only real way that we have true satisfaction in life. Let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you so much for your love for us, um, for your always desiring us, Lord, even when we don't desire you, even when we don't hunger and thirst for you. We ask you, Lord, that you create in our hearts as we stand before you today, Lord, that, that you create in our hearts that true hunger and thirst for you to make you our number one priority above everything else in our lives, that we're not restless chasing after things in this world, but that you open our eyes to things that are getting in our way, getting in our relationship with you. That you, O oh Lord, are the one always teaching us, always guiding us, we know, Lord, that you're on our side, that you're the one cheering us on, Lord, desiring us more than we even desire, um, desire you, Lord, that, that, that you are the one embedding us with that desire and that we know that without you, Lord, we'll never have a satisfied life. We're not really living when we're outside of your kingdom, God. We ask you, Lord, that you help us always keep that in mind. Always, Lord, remind us that it's a journey and that you're with us throughout the journey and that you have created ways for us to come back to you always. We ask you, Lord, that you hear our prayers through the intercessions of all your saints. Here says, we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for joining us here today. You can find us on any social media platform and feel free to share a message that inspires you with family and friends. If there's anything we can do for you, visit our website and let us know how we can help or how we can pray for you. If you aren't receiving our weekly email, please click the Stay Connected button on our website. Have a great day.